Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. Another comment that's interesting in here is that if you're good at math, your goal is to, and your goal is to make the most money for the easiest work, accounting would be a good choice. <laughs> Might not have been an accountant saying that. <laughs> no, there's no accountants giving feedback in this at all. Just, uh, but, you know, it's like, if you don't want to suffer, be an accountant, but don't go into tax or audit. Today is Saturday, March 13th. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, it was snowing in Tucson. It was snowing for about two hours this morning. And I'm kind of mad about it. You're mad about it? Because all my little plants, my little citrus trees, they just got little flowers, little baby leaves, you know, all everything that would cut hurt during freezes this winter are all starting to recover. And now it's all going to be dead because... Just when you need technology, we get all these notifications. You have all these stupid apps on your phone, all this stuff. They never sent out alerts that, hey, it was going to snow last night. So I woke up to snow and probably now when I go out later today when it's sunny, I've probably lost all my my nice plants. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. But technology fails. Like we have all this stuff. And when push them to shove at the end of the day, it always seems to fail. Technology does. Why would you think to put a snow notification on your phone? It's not exactly something that happens too often where you live. Well, they give severe weather alerts all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, they just missed it this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of a bummer for a way to start your uh, weekend. I had a very nice Friday night. My parents are in the Phoenix area and they got vaccinated at the big state vaccine site and they just hit their uh, what a three week period after you get the shot or two weeks or something where they're totally immune now. So uh, they took my son for a sleepover last night. And no mask. They're allowed to be inside with their grandchild. No mask on. Yeah. Fauci says no mask. Wow. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. Uh, small gatherings with family. And yeah. That's amazing. I mean, because so, it's been a year, right? It's probably been a year since they For us, it's been almost a year exactly since shutdown not being able to hang out with family, not having any time to yourself. It was nice to get the night off. So we went out to a restaurant because you can do that in Arizona. Went out to a bar and, and had a drink and everything seemed really normal. Like to the point where I was forgetting my mask in the car on the way to the bar. Because <laughs> you still got to wear it as you go in the door to sit down. But then once you sit down, you don't have to. Yeah, it was funny. I went, I met, uh, had drinks with uh, Tom Port, who's, who's at, who's at Auto Entry. We had a burger and a beer at one place and you know it's all social distance every other table is kind of ramped off and there's a a tap room two stores down we're going to meet there and the tap room is not really letting people in it's it there's like we have no more seats available but it was pretty empty you know Mm -hmm. and and i and i kind of described it to my wife when i came home because we wound up going to this other bar and i was like yeah it was basically the one bar was like phoenix and the other bar the place we couldn't sit at was like two sides so the one one we wound up at it was like phoenix like there was no tables being spaced everybody's in there you know yeah i was kind of shocking well you know but shocking not shocking it's just like are we that close to back to normal and like, it feels like it for me. I, I, I hope our listeners are feeling the same way. I'm feeling optimism, you know, some fears, like maybe inflation is lurking. 
And that is something that the AICPA has identified as a potential risk in a survey. The first quarter AICPA Business and Industry Economic Outlook Survey is out. It was conducted in February, and it includes 693 responses from CPA decision makers such as CFOs, CEOs, and controllers. And this is the third consecutive quarter in which sentiment is rising. In other words, CPAs are getting more optimistic. Accountants are more optimistic. And this is the third quarter in a row. So like I'm feeling better going out. Things feel like they're getting back to normal. And in general, we are more optimistic as a profession. 47% of respondents were optimistic about the year ahead for the US economy. And 27 said their expectations were neutral. Those are the strongest numbers since a year ago. So you know, almost a half of the respondents are optimistic. Now, here's the thing we're all worried about, if you pay attention to all the stimulus stuff and the massive amount of money that we're spending, is inflation. 44% of the respondents are worried about inflation, which is a sharp increase from last quarter, where only 24% had that concern. And specifically, what kind of inflation are we worried about? I mean, we've already seen inflation in asset prices, like home prices, the stock market, Bitcoin, uh, because the, all well, this- We're m- probably going to see in automobiles now because there's a chip shortage. Um, I've seen it with a construction project. There's a wood shortage. So prices are going up. Money needs to find a home and it hasn't really hit wages at all. And that's where, as we all get back to work, that's where CPAs at least are worried about inflation hitting. Everybody's going to go back to normal and then we aren't going to be able to find enough workers and that's going to push up wages significantly. And that could lead to a really bad cycle of inflation. But, you know, the Fed is not too worried about it. So we'll we'll just see. Like, hopefully we don't end up in one of those crazy, when was it in the 70s when inflation went nuts? I don't I don't remember because I was not alive. Yeah, because ultimately the, you, you can put as much money as, as the machine can handle it. And if, if the machine's not slowing down, you can still put more money in and more money in, more money in. It's, it's, it's a lot of the, whatever, whatever, because that money basically is going to wind up going towards different parts of the economy. And the, as long as the companies can keep producing what the demand is created right. because of all this extra money, things will be okay. But like I said, like, you know, I'm paying 30% more than, you know, woods at all time highs. Right. right. Now if supply, if supply cannot keep up, then we will see inflation so you know hopefully it's gray right now because the supplies are messed the supply chains are still messed up from covid right so you know i'm i'm optimistic how about you david i mean are you feeling you're feeling good yeah i mean i i'm looking forward to things getting back to normal i you know i'm starting to make plans for accounting conference season so speaking of that uh Joe Woodard and the Scaling New Heights conference got moved so it was going to be june 20th through the 23rd in texas and now it's been moved move to October 24th to the 27th. Um, I, I think people just aren't fully ready, right? To, to just go to a conference in June. It still feels fairly early because they're what projecting May. Everybody will have their shots. Yeah. So it feels I, like you know, in October, people are going to be a lot more open to it. I, I was driving home. I heard President Biden's speech on the radio. Now, I am not a huge Biden fan, but I thought that was a really great speech. And he's talking about everybody being able to get the vaccine in May going back to normal by July 4th, which is a great target. But yeah, that has pushed all these conferences out, like the IMA, Institute of Management Accountants Conference, was originally scheduled in person here in Scottsdale in June. And I was really excited about that because it was going to be like really close to where I live. And uh, that has been taken virtual. And I think uh, AICPA Engage 
pushed a little bit too now. Like everybody's starting to push a little bit, but I feel like now this time when they're pushing, they're like, oh, it's really going to happen. Right. And I, I think these event organizers are scarred. They're, they have like PTSD from rescheduling two or three times. You know, can you imagine like trying to rebook the entire conference multiple times? You're like, I'm just not doing it anymore. And this goes to that inflation question, right? Yeah. Like demand, if demand's going to be high for conferences this fall, the hotels and the venue expos are going to have to raise prices. And they're going to have to find all these workers, right? And are they going to come back uh, is the question. So Engage is currently scheduled for July 26th to 29th. That's the big AICPA conference. That's at the ARIA in Las Vegas. So I, I hope that one happens. They've got a big asterisk next to the dates saying that it could go virtual. We will see. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Zero, Or do you have a client that is selling QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Do you want to talk about uh, people that maybe um, are not optimistic? Yeah. So we talked about uh, California unemployment, the uh, Employment Development Department, the EDD of California before and how massive unemployment in California. They're they're estimating, I think the latest number is the $30 billion in fraudulent payments that they've sent out. We we talked about this uh, previous story. It's just, it's probably the biggest fraud in the whole pandemic, dwarfing anything from PPP or EIDL, just... And, and and I even saw something about how a billion dollars of unemployment may have gone out of the country, fraudsters somehow getting it in, in California and then moving it out, and they weren't able to stop them fast enough. Just I believe that. Amazing. So they did try to stop the fraud, right? Um, right after the new year, new year, and they froze 1.4 million accounts. But what happened because of that, they got a skyrocketing number of phone calls in their call center, which was already not doing well. So this call center that they spun up for the EDD, they've failed to answer 73 million calls since late last September. And, and these are calls from people whose accounts got frozen because they were suspected. Not just, fro- not just frozen, just people calling this the unemployment and then usually I, I mean it could be a fraudster calling as well but like it's people just trying to call to mm. check on this to apply for unemployment check the status of employment right but, but they just didn't even answer 73 million calls they only answered during that time frame five and a half million calls and so <laughs> it wow. turned out to this big it turned out to a big big failure you know legislatures or uh, legislative branches and representatives are starting to look into this like why is this such a failure well it turns out just like the other COVID-related government system failures about, remember the whole shot database and where you could go get your, your uh, vaccination <laughs> shot? Yeah, yeah. The uh, original national vaccine website that, that was built. Yeah. yeah. And so they were had to hire Deloitte. Deloitte, go build this because you're the only one that can possibly do this. 
Deloitte takes their 50, 60 million bucks, thing doesn't really happen. Deloitte got paid $55 million to run this call center. This call center in, in California. In California. Yeah. And so they, they got $55 million to do this. Ultimately, it just it failed, right? Now they're they're acknowledging that the contract ran out in June and then they extended it for $11 million. Then they extended it a couple multiple times over and over and over again to so the point where it has now hit that $50 million mark. Um, and then they ended it this February. They just ended it. Okay. So, so Deloitte basically got paid tens of millions of dollars to run a call center that couldn't handle the volume. Correct. And he got blamed for it. And didn't they also build, help build the website for unemployment benefits in California? That I didn't see in this yeah. article. So I'm seeing, I just did a search because I wanted to like kind of figure out what's going on while you're, while you were telling me this. And there's a, a site called themarkup.org with a headline, companies made millions building unemployment websites that didn't work. And then it says that in 2010, California hired Deloitte to overhaul the unemployment benefits website. So they've already were getting money. From- so, I mean, they're deep in bed with the, the, the politicians, yeah. right? Like, so, you know, when you need something done in government, who do you call? You call your favorite big four partner and, right? and, you, and you give them a no bid contract, which is what happened with that call center. They didn't put it out to bid to any other company. So it's very clear, like, this is a failure beyond failures of them not service. They're not providing the service, right? Ultimately. So there's a- Did Deloitte admit that they did this? The spokesperson for Deloitte wrote in an email that the company is, quote unquote, extraordinarily proud of the impact we've made for unemployed Californians and their families. That's their quote. They're they're very proud of this service they provided (laughs) of- they get a million claims a week, right? They're getting all these phone calls in and they're just not answering them. Now they created a staff of 500 people, 500. Well, well okay. So it doesn't mean 500 people are taking the phone calls though, right? It's a, it's a 500 well-trained agents, supervisors, and managers mm-hmm. is what they created. But to give a quote like that, knowing this was a failure, is just like, well, it, it's not, it's not clueless, but you're just emotionally unaware. Yeah, it's just like it's uh, almost insulting. Like, like, do they think everybody's that dumb? They're like, oh yeah, you're right. You, you should be proud of yourself, Deloitte. I wonder what you have to be like to work in public relations at one of these firms. You know, like it takes a certain type of person. It's the same thing as like if you're a politician, you just got to spout the the bullshit, right? No matter what, never admit you're wrong, never admit a mistake. So I, I don't know. I'm it's just starting to see this trend, right? Governments are, hey, we're resource strapped. We, I mean, we have some money, but we can't solve this problem ourselves. They turn to what should, oh, you're the big four. You could help us with this. Yeah. And you just complete. So, you're, we're seeing like all these like incompetencies from these big, the big four on the audit side, the fraud side, um, implementing these consulting gigs. Yep. Like, is there a point where people are just going to start giving up on these big, the big four? Just like you can't use them for anything. Are they good at anything, like any service they provide across the board? Other than taking, making a lot, they're good at making a lot of money. They're good at making a lot of money, yeah. But who's going to replace them, right? Who has the the massive workforce to be able to do this on short notice? And I think the big problem is the no-bid contracts because that's what happened with a lot of these cases is they said, oh, we don't have time to do a contracting process. So we're just going to do a small $10 million project that then balloons into, you know, four or five times as much. And I'm sure that you, if, if you're on the Deloitte side, you really figure out how to, you have you have really the time and the energy on your side to be like, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll agree to a small price because we know once they start, they're not going to back out of it. Right. And then we'll, we'll hit them for another 10 million every quarter. Uh, you know, but but we live in a world in which it's hard to hide that kind of stuff anymore. So it's coming out and maybe the more that it comes out, you know, the more that we learn about 
the crappy work that's being done, then the less of it there will be. Uh, or the, the at least the public shaming will lead to some action, perhaps. So not everybody, though, is on a, filing for unemployment. There's also a lot of demand for payroll services. Really? So there's a survey out of the UK for 500 um, accountant decision makers at, at accounting firms, survey of 500 of them. They're reporting that they have a 60% uplift in small businesses approaching them for s- payroll expertise and services. So That doesn't surprise previous, me. Pre-pandemic... People could just run their own payroll. And now when the pandemic came, payroll got very complicated. And obviously, this is the UK, but I imagine if this survey was also done here in the States, it'd be the same type of results. Oh, God. Because yeah. even myself, I think about it. Like, I can run my payroll every week with no problem on, like, on, on pay. But like, I really don't know about, like, okay, how do I get this? Now that we get that, that retention credit and all the other stuff, like, I can't figure any of that out. I'm going to have to hire somebody. So another stat I thought was interesting is 48% of the respondents – they're accountants, mind you. They had to personally spend five hours a month navigating the developments that happened over the last year that were payroll, payroll related. Hey, well, I've got a payroll stat while we're talking about payroll. Yeah. You know, I like these metric of the month articles that pop up on CFO Magazine. This stat is about payroll bottlenecks and how long it takes organizations to run payroll. So the top quarter of organizations in the 25th percentile at least the fastest organizations, they process payroll in three days or less. Those in the 75th percentile, so the bottom quarter, take seven days or more, and those in the middle take about five days. So I have a, 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 it's almost like a Dear Abby letter, if you want to call it that. It's an an architect blog uh, discussion forum, believe it or not. Architecture. Yes. And so the actual website, I I don't know how to say this word. It's A-R-C-H-I-N-E-C-T architect but it's not the word architect okay it's like a weird it's like a web 2.0 spelling of the word architect so what's this what's the letter so it's a 13 year old girl who writes uh, this post about she's deeply worried about her future career and what should i take architecture or accounting (laughs) so this girl is struggling because she wants to be an architect okay but her parents are forcing her to become an accountant so she can take over her dad's business and do the books. Oh, because he's an accountant. He's not an accountant. He's a. Uh, they, they just own a business. Oh, okay, got it. But they they want her to take the safe path. The safe path, yes. And so she's worried about this because she's like, I know architects are paid a little lower than accountants, and you know, she's like, being an unemployed architect, you know, wouldn't it be really stable? So it's 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 interesting because she's debating this at thirteen, and there's a lot of pressures on this. And I thought one of the. Um, the tips that were in here that she got feedback from a don't listen to your parents about your career. Right. And, and, and also don't listen to people's opinions on <laughs> anonymous internet, right. Things like this. And then the third one, which is interesting, he wanted to say there could be a metric shit ton of accounting related tasks in architecture and most find it just tedious and boring. And those people just complain about it nonstop. And then they, they should, ignore that but at the same time buildings are complicated and not everything is just these fancy designs and literally ideas like either either occupations just going to have its drudges so my father was an architecture major and wanted to be an architect he's a huge frank lloyd wright fan he realized when he was in school that architecture is it's a creative pursuit i mean yes there's a lot of there's math there's engineering all that stuff that's in it but really you know the people who want to become architects it's because they want to design buildings and so there's a lot of competition and unless you become a star, you're not going to be building museums and 
skyscrapers and all the fun stuff, you're going to end up helping somebody remodel their house, right? Like, And you're doing essentially, uh, probably at, at bigger firms on big, huge buildings, you're essentially doing like audit level work, right? You're just like- You're signing off on mechanical stuff. Mechanical specs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So- Super detailed. You're not, de- you're, not, you're not drawing the conceptual drawings of the building. You're way down in the weeds of like, this elevator shaft has to be designed this exact perfect way. So, so in that way, like the job can be very similar, which is, you know, down in the nitty gritty. And then, yeah, if you're a CPA or something, you can make a lot more money than an architect. And <laughs> so I wonder, so I wonder what she's going to, what she's going to choose. That'd be interesting. Um, I mean, she's pretty young. I mean, like my kids are a 14 year old, about to turn 15 year old, I have a 13 year old, I have a 12 year old. None of them are processing this. <laughs> well, you know, I, as a, I'm a musician who became an accountant and I much prefer the accounting stuff. I like doing bookkeeping. I like doing accounting. And uh, being a musician is overrated, right? Being a creative person for your job is seriously overrated because the only people that you see doing it are the ones who have like become outrageously successful, right? That's what we imagine. But that's like tiny fraction of the people who do it for a living. So it's all distorted. The actual like, you know, day-to-day of a, of a musician, it can be kind of, is it's not any better than being an accountant, like same thing. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid because I thought, oh, you know, going into space, like this is so cool. I want to explore. Well, what does an astronaut do like 99% of the time? They're not even in space 99% of the time, right? They're sitting on the ground reading like manuals for how to operate the spaceship. And Standard <laughs> like, operating procedures. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's, it's, it's, right it's operating procedures. So, yeah. Another comment that's interesting in here is that if you're good at math, your goal is to, and your goal is to make the most money for the easiest work, accounting would be a good choice. <laughs> Might not have been an accountant saying that. <laughs> no, there's no accountants giving feedback in this at all. Just, uh, but, you know, it's like, if you don't want to suffer, be an accountant, but don't go into tax or audit. That's the reason that accounting gets a bad rap is because of busy season. It's like the time compression. If you don't have that, it's not, it's great. Hey, here's something that accounting has over architecture. What's this? We have CPA firm mobility. Now, it's not in every state. Our foreign listeners are going to be like, what the hell is wrong with the US? But we're getting there. We're getting there. So, so it used to be that if you were a CPA or a CPA firm, uh, you, you could only practice in the state in which you are licensed. So I got my license in California. I couldn't practice as a CPA here in Arizona. Without going through a whole rigmarole here. We're getting licensed in Arizona. So, and they might have different requirements to do that everywhere. I might maybe take the exam again. Who knows? Now that's over with. We we passed laws in all 50 states that made individual CPAs able to go to any state. I think that's true. Individual CPAs can go to any state and practice. Now, CPA firms still, not every state has mobility. There are 30 now that allow for firm mobility, meaning like I as a firm in Arizona can practice and serve clients in Colorado. But there are others that don't. And so I spotted an article in Journal of Accountancy about some more states that are joining the club. Alaska, Maine, Oklahoma are all considering CPA firm mobility bills. So we're getting close to like more and more states allowing this. Now, where does this tie into architecture? Well, specifically in this article, I think it's the AICPA, they call out architecture as one of the professions that doesn't offer this. Here's the quote from... uh, I should go put this in that that you, reply to her post. You, you, you'll have to stay in one state the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So this is from Marta Zanuski, AICPA Vice President of State Regulatory and Legislative Affairs. She says, other occupations 
should look to us when establishing their interstate reciprocity models. Architects, for example, do not have firm mobility. This is just another way the CPA profession can distinguish itself from the field. Should we jump into app news? There's lots of small app news, I think, this week. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. The big news is Lightspeed is acquiring Vend. And you're very familiar with Vend, David, right? Because you, I believe, uh, help. I'm familiar with, yeah, so very familiar with Lightspeed. Very familiar with um, Shopkeep, who Shopkeep was purchased a couple months back by Lightspeed. Lightspeed's a point of sale out of Canada. They bought Shopkeep, which is a big US point of sale, for about $300 million. They acquired them, and now they acquired Vend out of New Zealand. Vend has a lot of traction in Australia and a lot of traction in um, the Asia Pacific region, and they just acquired them for $350 million US. So Lightspeed is becoming this point of sale juggernaut. And they already were, right? I mean, public company, massive company. They already were. They already were. A yeah. lot of like bigger restaurants use their point of sales, but it's not this iPad-based point of sale system. They have their own hardware technology, right? So, so like that's why Vend came in as a disruptor. It's like Square, where you can just buy an iPad, you can load the software on your iPad, and you can be going. And, and what's interesting, a lot of these things are regional. Like Vend did come to the states. They just it just didn't work for them. They they went to all the accounting conferences. They integrated with QuickBooks. It just they couldn't get traction here, even though they were huge in Australia. And same thing like Shopkeep did really well. And I used, you you you'll see Shopkeep in the wild when you go to uh, different restaurants and and retail shops. Uh, I I've yet to see Lightspeed, but my understanding is they they started really they were really good at inventory, and so they they somehow got into the bike shop community. So I guess if you go to a bicycle shop. Like eighty nine percent of all bicycle shops in North America use Lightspeed, hmm. right? and so they were they were kind of grew as a niche app first to take over the world. But I expect I, I would expect now that the the amount of growth Lightspeeds have has had that you know I'll start seeing Lightspeed in the wild, right? But I just haven't seen it yet. What's interesting about this is the the folks who are going to benefit from this exit. So Vend is a New Zealand company, so this is like zero. Well, it's not going public, but you know, getting acquired. This is a big exit. The founder of Vend is Vaughn Ferguson. And who, who was sporting a mustache way before a hipster started getting their little COVID mustaches. Oh, yeah. And when he's, he's got the handlebar thing going on. Yes, yes, for a long time. Yes. <laughs> so he looks like he could be running a bike shop. So he and his ex-wife and early backer Sam Morgan are the next largest shareholders after their VC fund, Movac. And they, they each have like, I don't know, it's like 8, 8%. And Sam Morgan... Folks who are familiar with Zero may know that he was one of the early investors in Zero. So that guy has done really well, uh, not only having an early Zero stake, but also exiting off of end. So, and this is probably—I mean, in a way, like Zero has completely changed New Zealand. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, and, and this is just another app that that wouldn't probably—I don't think Ven would even have existed and had the success it did if it wasn't for Zero having the success it did. Yeah, there's a whole tech community now in. Wellington. I love the quote at the end of here from the founder, Vaughn Ferguson. He says that he is looking to invest in startups and continue his mentorship role that he's taken on. He says, quote, I'm terrible at saying no to people who ask for advice, but please don't print that, unquote. (laughs) This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Not sure if you know it or not, but OnPay was one of our very first sponsors and their support was crucial in the early success and growth of this podcast. 
so it has been equally exciting for me to watch them grow and have success as well. During this time, OnPay grew from an unknown payroll app into a top-rated app by CPA Practice Advisor, and in 2020, they've even received the coveted PC Mag Editor's Choice Award for Best Payroll Software. If you're wondering why OnPay is the best, it is because they handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, employees with H-2A visas. Even while handling all this complicated stuff, OnPay remains an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all of your clients, whether you just have one employee to pay or 500 employees to pay. It'll help them stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes best-in-class integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Zero. Right now, listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll and HR service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. So uh, what else is new in the world of tech? Uh, Carbon, practice management software Carbon, that has become quite popular in the cloud accounting space, has raised $10 million. This is from Five Elms Capital, a VC firm that focuses on B2B software companies. Does it say what uh, they intend to use this money for? This funding will allow us to grow our teams in all departments across the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Carbon CEO and co-founder Stuart McLeod told Accounting Today. Most importantly, we'll be able to quickly expand our product and engineering teams, which will accelerate the development of our solution and bring forward planned product enhancements by months or even years. So basically what everybody says when they raise money, right? Got it. <laughs> Grow the team, build more software. Because you got to spend it to get more of it. Yeah. yeah, that's how it kind of works. But they do need to grow their team globally because they have set up their UK office uh, recently and appointed a managing director there. So they're looking to go global. Another raise, AutoBooks, we've talked about them before. They just raised a $25 million Series B. Now what AutoBooks does, it's essentially a cloud accounting platform, but they sell it directly to the banks and credit unions. So so these banks that want to become GLs, can they just they can just do a deal with AutoBooks and they have like a white labeled accounting system. And so for example, mm. TD Bank. So TD Bank actually used this when they launched in 2020 and they have their integrated accounting and receivables platform called TD Online Accounting. And it's really auto books under the covers. So they obviously, um, they must have, they can't have a, a bajillion customers, but obviously they're getting revenue from the banks and that probably led to their, it's, it's a decent raise, 25 million. It makes a lot of sense. It's like a great way to acquire customers because Every bank wants to have this, and if every if other banks have it, then the other banks all want it, right? So eventually, they all got to have it. <laughs> so it's get. I, I still like. I mean, obviously, QuickBooks launches. You know, QuickBooks launches banks. All the, all the fintechs we talk about this. All the app companies and the GLs are becoming banks, and I, I think it's probably faster for a GL to become a bank than a bank to offer GL services. But where does this? But like right now, as a small business owner, you you can hardly get decent support at a bank. Just like, oh, your check didn't go through or you need to cancel a check. Like, it's hard to get actual customer service at these banks. Well, well what it, if you have an accounting software package and you need to question something wrong with the accounting data? Like, how is this all being handled? And like, who's going to service this? That's a good question. What I will say that the banks have an advantage with is customer acquisition because here in the US anyway, that's what people do first is they open their business bank account. So if you already have the accounting system bundled with that, 
hey, they might just give it a try. It gives you that foot in the door. It's a huge advantage. So maybe audiobooks will be big. Like maybe we talk about this in five years and they've, you know, become enormous. I, I, I think it's a great strategy. Here's another raise. Zenny, Z-E-N-I, raises $13.5 million to put a real-time digital bookkeeper inside every startup. This is in Crunchbase, and I feel like we've seen this headline many times. All you have to do is swap out the dollar amount and the name of the company. Yeah, the rest of the press releases are very similar. That's correct. That's, <laughs> that's correct. So it's another accounting firm with engineers that wants to replace your bookkeeper or do the bookkeeping for you. And guess who founded it? It's two previous founders who had an exit. They started a company, they sold it, and they thought to themselves, hey, you know what? I really hated doing accounting and finance. There's got to be a better way to do this. And so they think that they can replace the accountants and the bookkeepers. And I just wonder how many times is this going to happen before VCs realize that the model doesn't work? I mean, maybe somebody will prove it that it works, then maybe they'll figure out how to do it. But like, I don't think it's a good investment. (laughs) Like if you're a VC and you want 10x returns on your investment, investing in a bookkeeping company, which is fundamentally what this is, is not going to make you a bunch of money. Well, I think it's turning out harder than anybody imagined it would have been. Yeah, well, because these people have never run an accounting firm, right? So they're like, oh, it's easy. (laughs) And I was listening to the, uh, the big four accounting firms podcast. And and I forgot the uh, host name, but he kind of just does these small like 10 minute episodes and he kind of soapboxes, soapboxes a little bit. And he's actually soapboxing about that article we talked about last week about how Phil in accounting is going to lose his job because of it, robots. Really, yes, yes. Right? And he really made some strong points that it, this probably is not going to happen. And one of the points was, is the data. The data just is not good on the inbound part of this. Like it's very hard to automate all ends of a system because most businesses, when they first set up and they set up their systems, they're not setting up their system thinking about how some sales tax unit has to break down between a department and a state and a county. They build their system, they track all their accounting data for years in this one way, and it's very hard to change that. So unless you like have, unless you're starting businesses from day one, tracking things perfectly to be automated. Like it's really hard to automate all the bookkeeping of that business. It's just mm. very, 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 very hard because the inputs are, you don't have control over the inputs to the system. You can automate 20, 30% of it, or maybe 80% of it, but you can't get to 100%. That last 20 is almost is the hardest part. And that's where that, that takes you from being a software company to a service company, which takes you from 90% margins to 40% margins. Or, or less. Yeah. And Zenny is advertising, daily bookkeeping, managing all financial needs of startups for a flat monthly fee as low as $299 per month. Startup founders then have real-time access to key financial insights via the Zenny dashboard, including burn rate, operating expenses, cash slash card balance, and revenue by product. They say that they processed in their first year more than 30 mil- 300 million in transactions, and they're now managing 200 million in finances each month. They're going to see 300% growth, blah, blah, blah. It's all the usual stuff, right? Yeah, I wonder where they're doing this labor because it can't be completely automated, right? They've got to be doing it India, Philippines. Sometimes they do it in the US, but I think that's unlikely with those prices. It's bank feed accounting. You just take all the bank feeds, you categorize them. Here's your statements. Right? Well, And here's where they run into trouble though. That's easy enough to do. But then what if your business owner, your founder, like wants to see stuff like 
broken out in a different way than another customer. Well, that's where this doesn't work. And that's where I think it's like, they're going to only go after that. Everybody's going to win that small chunk. But then you think about what we just talked about with autobooks. There's a small percentage of the uh, small businesses that they just need cash bank feed accounting. Let's just call it bank feed accounting. Well, if that's the case, then just use the silly accounting system that your bank provides with your bank account. And that's good enough, which tells me then do you need startups like this? Because these startups aren't going to be able to automate people that need beyond bank feed accounting. Exactly. And that's where they lose them so quickly is, is, you know, company grows and now they need reports to help them actually manage the business, not just do a tax return. And that's where you need customization and you need a person helping you figure out what reports you need <laughs> and, and how to interpret the reports uh, and all that stuff. It's like, I mean, how many times are we going to see this where it's just people thinking that the bank feed is, is all there is. And it's, it's like the least important thing. It may take the most time if you're doing it, keying in transactions, but it's like the least important thing. Well, now that it comes down to bank feed, it's actually not as bad anymore. Right. So, and that's the bet, right? Like, so people are investing in companies thinking, hey, we will do bank feed accounting as a standalone product offering. People are betting on companies like AutoBooks to, hey, the banks will do bank feed accounting better than anybody. And then obviously you have the QuickBooks and Zeros and everybody else who have their, you know, layers of that level of a product, right? Right. So we'll find out where this all kind of winds up. I think you're right. The The banks will end up doing the bank feed accounting because they own the bank feed. That makes sense, right? He who controls the data <laughs> can do the most with it. And then and, people can outgrow that. Right. Well, and and where Zero and QuickBooks add value, it isn't in the 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 bank feed and categorizing those transactions. It's like the invoicing. It's the reporting. It's the time tracking. The, the CRM of your customers. Like exactly. CRMs, yeah. It's the, and that's what it is, honestly. Most businesses of that size don't actually have a CRM. And so their accounting system is their CRM. So, and, that, and you see that with all the product development that's happening. It's all becoming a better CRM. And actually, that leads me into our next update from QuickBooks Online Advanced. Intuit has added e-signature capabilities. DocuSign e-signature connector is now available in QuickBooks Online Advanced. It looks like you can send estimates and get them signed directly from inside of QuickBooks. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? That's the value is being able to manage your customer relationships in that, that, that order to cash, you know, cycle in an efficient way in one place. So, so I saw that article about announcement and the, the piece that I thought was interesting was the quote from Kelly Vincent, who's the vice president of mid-market and small business solutions at Intuit QuickBooks. So her quote, I'm just going to read this and we can discuss it. Mid-sized businesses can rely on QuickBooks Advanced and the hand-picked apps that we have integrated like DocuSign eSignature to provide a seamless experience across their business software. I read this and I'm like, this is their mid-market strategy. Mm-hmm. Intuit is just going to take QuickBooks online and they're so we've talked about this before you you bolt on or build your own erp yep you get quickbooks online you get zero then you bolt on the apps and you've built your own frankenstein erp kind of in a way right yep. but it feels like intuit's now going to with quickbooks advanced like we know best we will build your frankenstein erp we will handpick the apps and they're going to sell quickbooks online with a preset of bundled apps now i don't know if people really want that do they I think that most people do. Most people okay. do not want to be like you and me, David, and learn everything about hundreds of apps. That's weird. We're weird. Okay. Our listeners are weird. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're all weird together in this niche. Most people, most business owners who are the ones buying QuickBooks Online Advance, it's not the accountants that are buying it. 
It's the business owners and operators. They just want it picked for them. Well, what they want is they want QuickBooks, like the old, like old QuickBooks. Like it's all in QuickBooks. They right. just want QuickBooks to have it all in there. But this is really just a bunch of bolt-on apps. Like it's so I imagine it's not any can more convenient or better than just you adding the apps yourself. So it's just kind of well. But the thing is, like, I don't know if this strategy is going to work long term. Will it? Maybe if if they work seamlessly, then it's great. And I think most people don't mind now logging into a bunch of different apps. It's just the problem is when the integrations don't work right. They don't talk to each other. Yep. Right. And so if if Intuit can offer some sort of assurance, a level of assurance that this works, and and they certainly will if they're supporting it. Like if it's integrated into QBO advanced, like this DocuSign thing, they're going to support it or they're going to have to figure out a way to make sure DocuSign supports it. They're, they're, They're putting their stamp on it. And and that I think could really work, especially compared to going to an ERP system, which is just like so overwhelming. And then is this going to spin into flavors? So if I go back to like the old QuickBooks desktop days, they had flavors of QuickBooks. You'd buy, you'd buy QuickBooks for contractors and they have different menus and different stuff in it. Then you'd have buy QuickBooks for this and it'd have some functionality and QuickBooks yeah. for nonprofits, right? And it would be, they'd all be a little bit different because the right now they're bundling lean law in this, right? They're bundling, um, what's the, the, the accounting software pack, uh, sorry, the e-commerce package they just got, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like those features of that e-commerce, if that's in QuickBooks Online Advance, all that e-commerce crap and a bunch of legal stuff are both in the same product, that's not going to be good for me if I am tr- if I want QuickBooks Online Advance. Like, well, so the- are they going to have to spin this up as flavors or like you only get this app or is it going to be you, you, turn it, you turn them on like modules? Like I feel like that's what it'll be. It'll be a module system and it's like connect your e-commerce system or set it up, right? And if you don't set it up, you don't see it. Like that, I mean, I feel like this can all be dealt with in a in a smart way from the product perspective. You just don't show people too much. But they only have like, what, half a dozen apps now at this point? Yeah, but, but, but it's pretty clear like this is going to be the strategy. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a great strategy. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. It's curating that selection. Because you know why I think it's good? Because this is exactly the value that I provided when all this was new. And nobody knew how to connect all these apps is I would, my clients would come to me and they say, I, I need to set up accounting. I, I've got all these things. Like, is this what I should be using? And I'd say, all right, let's look at what you're using and let's figure out what you're missing. And we'll put that all together. And here's the app package, right? It's like six things. I'm going to set them up, integrate them, make sure they work. I'll support you on them. And then we'll do your bookkeeping ongoing. That was the fundamental value yeah. proposition of my firm. And it worked great. So if like, if Intuit can do that, then they can easily get people to pay a few hundred dollars a month for QuickBooks Online Advance because that's what I would. Ch- that's the value I created, right? Like that's what, so that's why I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I guess it'll work as long as people aren't locked in, right? If they can, like, well, I don't really want to use that. I want to use this other legal software instead, or you know. Um, but if that's the case, you just buy the lower QuickBooks and go use that other software. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. QuickBooks Online backs up their platform, but not your client's files, leaving you exposed to failed imports, bad app integrations, or manual data entry errors that can corrupt your client's files. It takes you hours of work to manually restore it all, pretty much erasing those great profit margins you have because you're using the cloud. Rewind automatically backs up your QuickBooks Online files and in a couple of clicks can restore your client's file to the way it was prior to any mishaps. To learn even more about Rewind, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. 
And the team at Rewind also wanted me to let you know about an upcoming CPA Academy webinar on March 25th that they will be hosting called Building Out Security Protocols for Your Practice. You'll earn CPE credit while you learn how to protect your firm and clients' data. Hit the show notes for the link. So, so speaking of apps and new apps and accountants, uh, there's a new app for accountants that caught my eye called BookGel. This was in accounting today. It's a client acquisition app, an artificial intelligence-driven cloud-based app for accountants to manage client acquisition. So, you know me, I'm always interested when I see AI and cloud and accountants. And wh- what's interesting about this tool is that they're raising the money via a crowdfunding site. So currently, BookGel, and, and maybe I should go back and say, like, like who are these people? What is Who are the founders? Um, so, David, are you familiar with BizPayo? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Some accountants started it, I think, or, or, or an owner of a firm or yeah, CPAs. Yeah. So, so Alan Ratafia, CPA, XPWC, and Mark Howard, who's ex-Gartner, they started BizPayo. And that's like a, a payments proposal uh, software that integrates reviews. And now they've started this one called BookGel. And what's interesting about it is the premise, which is that accounts have a really hard time pricing services, figuring out what should I charge. And I think you'll agree, David, if you go into the forums on Facebook and whatnot, there's always questions about how much should I charge for this? It's really hard. It's probably one of the hardest things that we do is pricing and getting it right. And getting it wrong can be horrible. <laughs> so... Hey, if, if you can help clients, if you can help accountants price better, then you might have something here. And and so what Bookshell does is it, it it claims to have an AI, an algorithm where you it prompts you to ask the right questions, like with an intake form kind of thing. And then when you answer those questions in their software, it tells you what you should charge for those services using their database of, I guess, other what other accountants are doing. So you know, kind of interesting. Oh, okay. So 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 they they're they're harvesting prices of. I'm looking at their FAQs right now. Like, so what somebody's charging to handle cannabis taxes. So they're finding that web that price out there on the web somewhere. They're putting it in their database. So then, if your client fills out this intake form and checks, I need cannabis work done, it's going to stick a price in because. But I, I, I guess like if you're going to start offering these services and you haven't priced that, like like who I get. All right, Take a step back. I have an accounting firm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to offer some service. Part of my decision to offer that service, wouldn't I say like, hey, what do you think I'm going to price this service at before I start offering it? Because this feels like it's just like, oh, I don't know what to charge, but I'm going to offer these services. It just feels upside down from a, a logic standpoint. Yeah. Well, and my big question is like, how how is, is this database? I, I, I emailed Mark Howard and asked like, how does this algorithm work? Because okay. I'm always curious, like, is it really an algorithm or is it like people in India or the Philippines? Maybe I'm just putting this stuff into a form and then somebody like on the back end is like g- giving me a price. So I asked, you know, how does it work? And he said, the short answer is it taps into a massive lookup database that we've built to match services with fees, then calculates a price factoring in potential client savings and projected client profits. And then the longer answer is, do you want to see a demo? I guess the question I will have, right? I can't make a judgment now, but the question I will have is, is the database good? Is the data in the database good, right? Like, I don't want to be just using what other people, I don't want to just be copying what other people are doing because what if they're doing is bad 
And we know that, you know, many accountants underprice their services dramatically. <laughs> like that's a huge problem in the profession is. And, and this is, and this is less about knowledge. It's confidence. That's true. Maybe just having somebody else validate your pricing or tell you what to do is makes it easier to price it. The, the, the thing about pricing, if you're doing real value pricing, it is completely individualized based on the conversation you're having with the client. And you need to be asking them questions. What are your alternatives? What else would you be doing? What is trying to figure out what the value is to them if they did something else, the alternatives. And then you kind of price your services based on, here's an example. If the business owner is trying to decide whether to hire somebody full-time in-house to manage accounting and administrative tasks or to outsource the accounting to you, then you shouldn't be trying to price it based on the number of transactions in their bank feed. You should be pricing it based on what would it cost them to hire somebody and have that person dedicate a part of their time to accounting. Yes. Right. So, and, and that's what's weird about this because, like, some of this is, I think, like, there's apps that already kind of do this, like, go, go proposal where you, you check out the services you're going to do. It sends that out. And then you have your prices built in. The thing, other, the thing they're bringing differently to the table in theory is we're going to give you the prices. But, like, reading their website, they're trying to play this up as value pricing. But if you really think about value pricing, and they even have in their FAQ this graph, right? And it has cost plus markup equals cost plus billing. But value pricing, you have this whole thing stacked on top of the graph called perceived value. But how AI can't perceive the value. The value is perceived by the person paying for it. Like this is this is Ron Baker value pricing 101. Like, like so this is not a value pricing app either. Like I just other than them having a database of service fees, I don't understand What's different about this versus other apps that just let you, you know, send out your contract, you know, a practice ignition, a go proposal, those types of things. Right. Where your prices are in there. There's value in being able to see what other people are doing. So you know what what's competitive in the marketplace, right? If somebody is charging X dollars for bookkeeping for a company, uh and Intuit puts out that great survey every two years, that huge billing survey. They have stuff like that. But but like Ron Baker says, that is just a starting point is you do not want to base your pricing based on what your competitors are doing. If like all you're doing is copying your competitors, like they could be wrong and yeah. your client may not care. Like, right. They, they're, they're willing to pay more for you, for instance, for because of X that makes you different. And that, I find it really hard to imagine that you could put this into software and it could spit out a price. Like, like for instance, if I were going to start up uh, my practice again, one way I might do it is say, I am going to do bookkeeping, accounting, payroll, bill pay for you, but I am different than all of the other firms out there because I am your concierge accountant. I give you my cell phone number and you can call me whenever you want with any question you have. That is much higher value than, what was that app we were just talking about? Zenny? Yeah. Right? The $300 a month thing where you can't reach a human being probably. And if you do, they can't answer any of your actual accounting questions. How would I put that into software and then have it spit out a price for me that I should give to that person. They, they might be willing to pay me $1,000 a month for the same thing that somebody else might not be willing to pay for at all if it didn't have that concierge aspect. So that's highly individualized. So, so you said they're, they're uh, crowdsourcing this, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to like work backwards and figure out how much is this going to cost an accounting firm a month? But if they're asking you to pledge $2,500 and basically you're going to get $10,000 off... Are they intending to charge people $10,000 a year for this yeah. product? Yes. Don't you think if you're going to spend $10,000 to investigate your prices, which is super important, it's one of the most important things you're going to do in your firm, why not just invest three weeks, four weeks of your time investigating what you should be charging and just figure out the prices yourself? Well, because 
time is the thing we don't have as accountants. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah. It's, that's the number one thing that, well, after vacations, it's the number one thing that people want more time to do is to work on the business of their accounting firm practice. That's why I think this could be really successful, even though I'm skeptical. I mean, I think that, I don't think you can actually do value pricing this way, but I think you could definitely do fixed fees this way. And it could give you a lot of intelligence and speed up the process a lot. Because if really what I'm doing is a, is a kind of compliance focused thing or a process driven service where, you know, I'm just going to do GL accounting for you. And, and there's some sort of metric like number of bank accounts, number of transactions, and you just plug that in and you get a price. Like there, there's a lot of value in that. And that's what I did for, for a lot of the services we offered in our firm. I had a Excel sheet that I built. It was a pricing calculator. And when my sales guy did the interview with the client, he had a list of 10 to 20 data points that he requested in the interview. How many bank accounts do you have? Approximately how many transactions per month? How many employees do you have? What's your annual revenue? What is your, or monthly revenue? What is your monthly expense? And he would plug that all into the Excel sheet. And then I had built formulas that took that data and then spit out a price. So you can do that. You can build that. But that wasn't value pricing. That was a fixed fee type of pricing based on transaction volume and what other stuff like headcount, right? So it allowed me to very quickly price because he didn't have to come to me for every single um, potential client. And it got me out of the sales process entirely because I could rest confident knowing that the prices were going to be pretty accurate. And, and then I knew that my cost on the work, my margins would be acceptable because I had built them and we kept refining the, the spreadsheet. And I think a lot of firms do it that way. But yeah, value pricing, you can't do that way. Anyway, I think we're way over time I, on this. We probably are. <laughs> so we probably are. I, and I guess we'll see where this 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 comes out in the end. But but it, what I love is the idea. The idea is different, right? And, and we see so many apps coming out that are just copying everything else that everybody else is doing. And you know they're not going to make it. But they're just too late to the party, right? Like all these bookkeeping yeah. startups. Like it's come on. If somebody's going to do it, it's going to be Pilot, right? <laughs> I think they're the biggest one that's been around the longest at this point. So. Yeah, so 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 they're hoping by the end of the summer to have a public version. Which okay, so I know about software development, which means if if they deliver anything in twenty twenty one, I would be amazed. I was like, that just like whatever whatever your deadline is, just double it, double it. Like software development. I mean, you, you're you've been now in the software development space as well. Like this, just it always takes way slower than. Oh my god, it's so hard. I have so much sympathy now for engineers and software people and everybody working in the software world, being in it for a few years. It's like. It's insanely difficult. Uh, and that's why Excel will never go away because it takes so long to build custom built software. But that, and you can build your Excel template to do pricing in like a few weeks if, if you really focus on it. Did we get any reviews this week? We did get a review. Do you want to read that? Yeah. I've been converted. Five stars. You guys have turned me into a lover of podcasts. Between the timely information shared on your show to just the way you two interact, your show keeps my attention, something no other podcast has been able to do. Thanks for being awesome. That is from Zankinator via Apple Podcasts. And if you want to leave a review, you can do that right in the Apple Podcasts app, or you can go to... That's my key to come in here, right? Uh, if, you, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can use... Because you're the Android guy. Yeah, the Android. If you're on Android, you can go to podchaser.com. Uh, slash cloud accounting podcast and you can leave a review on podchaser and that will show up in other apps and allow the non-apple people to discover the cloud accounting podcast if you want to leave us a voicemail you can give us a call that number is 202-695-1040 202-695-1040 
And David, if people want to catch up with you online, where can they do that? I'm at David Leary on all the socials. If you contact me on LinkedIn, just make sure you tag it, not a bot, so I know you're not a robot. I am at Blake T. Oliver. David, as always, great talking to you. I hope it warms up in Tucson and that your plants survive. We'll get an update from you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a QuickBooks Pro Advisor? Instead of juggling a tech stack with your practice, you can now track and manage your workflow, communicate with clients, and manage files, all in one single powerful yet amazingly simple platform, ClientHub. When you leverage ClientHub's all-in-one platform that goes across your team and your clients, magic happens. Ready to start feeling that in your firm? Start your free trial at clienthub.app today. Use promo code CAP25 to receive 25% off your first three months. We have to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks App Store called Uncat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. Uncat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. Uncat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.